0: In listeners to another exciting episode of Whisper in the Wings, we have another first here on Stage Whisperer because today we are being joined by the new resident playwright at the farm. Uh, we're being joined by Dipti Brahmankar, as well as the artistic director of the farm, Patrick Lillis. Dipti, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today on Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisperer. Uh, thank you. For- this is an honor to have you both here, especially you, Dipti. Congratulations on being the resident playwright at the farm. What an awesome, awesome thing to have happened, especially for you. to you, this incredible playwright. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I am um, an Indian-American playwright. Who's increasingly less reluctant to write plays because I have a lot of uh, wonderful support from growing communities of actors and directors. um, And who's led the pack uh, of that bunch is is Patrick, who's really cultivated my career from like literally day three and has guided me and provided dramaturgy and lots of other things, including directing my show. So, uh, and I, did I say where I live? I live in Health Kitchen. And I am, you know, really looking forward to this year, which actually feels like the first, at least in my estimation, slightly more in quotes, normal, whatever normal is, year for things like fellowships and productions and residencies and conversations. I know we've, we've been through a lot as a broader theater community. So that's kind of where I am right now. I'm working on a lot of a lot of different projects this year, and I'm very excited about it.
0: It's amazing. Now, Patrick, you are the artistic director at director the farm. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself as well?
2: Sure. I'm artistic director of the farm, which is starting its 10th year. And besides that, I am also a director and a playwright and live in Brooklyn, not Hell's Kitchen. So since you mentioned that part, I feel like, oh, I should mention that. But But I want to talk about the, I'm going to probably talk about the farm being in its 10th year and Dipti is the playwriting fellow this year because we've done the College Collaboration Project, which is a commission she has, and it's the 11th college collaboration that we've done, which is where a playwright is commissioned to write a play and three colleges produce it in development throughout the academic year. So she'll go to, and this year the three schools are Shenandoah University, Austin P., and Middle Tennessee and she'll go and rewrite while she's there, and then after each production, rewrite, and and then there'll be a reading in New York. But also, the difference besides having a year-long residency with the farm is also in residence at Center College, which is a school that's partnered with the farm five times, and she wrote a play specifically for their students called Soft Launch, which will go up in February. And so it's Great. So there's an extended thing beyond the College Collaboration Commission this year, which I'm excited that we'll do four plays, four productions of
0: Diptees on two plays. Wow, that's amazing. Diphti, tell me a little bit, how does it feel? Or what are your thoughts about becoming the the resident fellow writer at the farm?
1: You know, this is, this is such a great question because when someone who has been working on a program and building it for a long time sort of bestows something on you as a playwright it's like a really strong form of validation that you hope that you don't need but you actually really do and that kind of institutional support and visibility is is really important and i the thing that has been there's been a lot of cool things that have happened since the announcement but one of the coolest things is getting messages from other Indian, American, especially younger writers, directors, asking to meet and talk uh, to learn about how they can go on their own sort of journey of theater or film. And that, like, every time I get a message like that, I just think, wow, that's amazing, because it means, like, there's a a sense of continuity, and they see someone like them, maybe, that has you know, achieve something or has received something and it makes it more possible. So that that is like one of the the, the biggest benefits of of that. And there are many others, but that's the one that really, really kind of was unexpected and, and, and
0: got to me. Awesome. Let me ask you both, how did you come into the performing arts? And Patrick, why don't I start with you on that question? I started in high school and followed my brother, you know,
2: into the theater. He was uh, two years older and I would go and watch him after cross country practice and and uh, it looked great. And I will just say that I entered in high school rehearsals and then never left, you know, and, and then went to college thinking you study acting and you just do everything else and got lucky to get a chance to direct. And as soon as I directed, I realized, oh, that's what I do. And, but that was, it It was, and it was also, when I looked, when I say the thing about going in and following my brother, I just want to say this the thing that struck me in theater and still keeps me going is it was watching the collaboration. It was watching the, everyone in the, in the production, even though they were high school students being treated as equals and peers to the director and being invited to create. And, and I thought, Oh, that's, that's what I want. You know, you want to have a voice and you want to know that everybody's working together to make something and, that's the bug
0: and that's kept me going. Dipti, how did you come into the performing arts?
1: Oh gosh, I like I tripped right into it um and I'm a late bloomer so I um always loved theater in growing up and in high school and college but never took any classes. I studied literature and I had the thought that I would be I always knew that I wanted to be a writer but I thought it would be in creative nonfiction and short stories, and then I went. I think now eight years ago, on a retreat uh, that the Labyrinth Theater Company re- uh, leads uh, for a week, and as soon as I got on the bus, I was like, "No, this is not for me. I'm not gonna survive this. I don't know how to act. Like, what's happening? We're singing on the bus. Like, I'm not. I'm not a theater person, kid. Uh, what did I do?" But actually, it really affected my life in two ways. One was that. It showed me that I could I could still write, but then I could have all these people around me to help realize the story with me and collaborate with me instead of just sitting by myself in front of a computer. That's amazing. And then probably more importantly, I just I met a lot of friends who I continue to work with to, to this day. And that was, you know, it was much later in life and I, it happened at really the right time. And so I came out of um, that and I threw caution to the wind and I wrote a play and I entered it into a showcase and it did really well. And, um, with like zero experience for me. And and I thought maybe I could, I could do something with this. And I, I sort of went from there since then really focusing on performing arts versus, versus other types of writing.
0: What has your experience as a female playwright been?
1: That's interesting. You know, I, I, Feel that my stronger identity is actually as a South Asian person and an immigrant and sort of gender secondarily. I think the main thing I re- realize as a as a, a female playwright, though, if I'm thinking specifically about gender is the types of topics that I'm interested in writing about and how they've been historically the purview of, you know, of men. You know, I'm really interested in, like, big, long, kind of nuanced family dramas, and there are plenty of those that exist. I'm probably less interested in specific things that are related to gender, even though I know that happens naturally. But I think that I'm asked questions about gender specifically in my writing, and I have trouble answering it because it doesn't feel like the most prominent part of my identity as a writer, if that makes sense, even though I'm obviously a woman and identify as a woman. And so, yeah. And I think the second part of it is, People often say that I write male characters very well. Um, and I find that very funny because I just, I really think of like people as individuals with like really full lives. And I don't know whether male playwrights would be asked that question. M- maybe so, like you write wi- women's voices well or something like that. But it seems very specific, like I shouldn't be able to. So it's kind of an interesting, yeah. So I guess those two things intersect for me, my my ethnicity and my gender, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah yeah I, I I really appreciate that answer thank you I want to ask no you problem. both what things are you most excited about in the theater either happening now or to come and Patrick, why don't I start with you on that one to come giftys play in the college collaboration project
2: and I mean I actually mean that because I love watching like you said the schools will track the growth of it and I love their engagement and and watching the it's like miracle grow for them because they get to see the impact they have on the development of a script. So that's the coming. And it's funny that that now I'm going, it just closed. I thought most exciting to me was downstate and it's closed, but it should continue to have a great life because I loved that that play was asking very, was asking the audience to think and and reevaluate their opinions on things. And I'm, I'm looking for plays that, do that in an emotionally engaging way like that play did. And I am excited about any play that makes me reevaluate my judgment.
0: I love that that play forced us to play in the gray area. Just so uncomfortable because there's so much uncertainty. But you have these conversations where you see both sides of the argument and you can't find the the true right or wrong in it. You know, both sides are valid. So you have to sit in that uncomfort of uncertainty. And I love that about that show. Yeah, so-
2: well, that's what I'm excited. And I'm excited about more of that. And I, I feel like it's funny when we talk about the normalcy of like 2023, it's coming back to like where the world may have been before, what the change is. I'm also thinking, yeah, I'm hoping the conversation could get more nuanced and complex.
1: Dipti, how about you?
2: Gosh, the thing that really
1: struck me when I, got it in my inbox is that there's a play coming up this year at the Atlantic called, uh, and I may be mispronouncing it. It's called Illyria and the mm. the writer is Deepa Purahit. And what struck me about it, one is it's a South Asian writer. However, the cast um, I think is entirely people of color. And I was like, wow, <laughs> I, I don't think I've seen that really. And I think not necessarily just for this play though, I'm excited to see it. But for all people who are, you know, trying to tell, I think, to Patrick's point, more nuanced stories from their, whatever their lived and communal experience, you know, might be. And like, you know, I think we're really ready for that. I think we're ready for stories that move beyond like very, very big, broad strokes about gender and ethnicity and, and all the other intersectional challenges we face, but actually something like, you know, how people navigate these issues in in day to day life, not just in sort of. Dramatic moments that are are unique to that specific culture. So I'm really excited about that. I, I'm I'm hoping there's a
0: turning point that that we can all be part of and usher in. I think I combined those two things together. I was just going to say this is a perfect segue into my next question, which is what changes would you like to see made in the theater? And I want to start with you, Dipti, because you were making some great points there in that in that last bit.
1: How much time do you have? Do we, we do a part two on that question? That's like a- Absolutely. I'm, I'm
0: here all day. I'm yours.
1: <laughs> I, I, I think I have still the benefit of beginner's eyes, you know, because I haven't been kind of schooled in a very traditional way towards theater. I think there are a lot of practices that are very opaque that don't need to be. And, and I think there are a lot of organizations that are trying to demystify that process, but it does sort of feel like there are dominant tracks And if you're not in the dominant track, your career sort of careens a little bit and it doesn't feel as straightforward, I think, as it could. I'm not saying it'll be easier, but I think more transparency in how to get between one level to the next. And Patrick has a podcast too, which I I think has a really interesting topic. It's called The Bullpen that everybody should also listen to because it talks about how people got to the next level. In their careers. And when I listen to it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so interesting. And a lot of times it's like one person took a chance or, you know, um, chance on me, or I happened to be in this project that went really well at a very young age. But probably for the vast majority of people, I think more transparency and more communication between kind of like larger institutions that have the ability to kind of create careers and, you know, in, and other places that are are, you know, identifying Emerging playwrights or emerging directors and writers and and all, you know broader teams. so 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 that we can help people create paths. I think that needs to change. Um, and then I also think that the gatekeepers need to change of of who, you know, what what is considered theater and and what those audiences are. I think that artists should also be able to have lucid and informed conversations about the commercial impact of their work. I think it's okay. To be an artist and also understand the business that you're in and um and making that okay. And 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 you know, and 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 lastly, it's like how do we incentivize and reward people who are helping to identify and create space for young and or emerging talent? Because if that doesn't exist, that layer doesn't exist anymore because it's too hard, what's gonna happen is that we're going to have a very self-selected group of of voices, which is what the past, you know, sort of should should have taught us. So I have lots of thoughts on this. I mean, I, I've had a lot of like generous, generosity sort of, uh, you know, shown to me. And I hope that, you know, what in whatever position I'm in, I hope I can return the favor. Cause I think if we don't, we're just gonna be, you know, just hurtling towards oblivion in this industry, which is uh, hard to navigate as it is. So those are some of the thoughts that I had around what should change.
0: I hope everyone was taking notes because all of that was yes, yes, and yes. Put them on a poster. Say them again for the people (laughs) in the back. Could not agree more.
1: Oh, and I had one other thing. Sorry. Yes, yes. Oh, no, no, please. Sorry. (laughs) Just one other thing, which is we have a very myopic view on what difference is. And I think we have got to give people room to share their their lived experience not the lived experience of something that feels more comfortable to us because it either has more inherent conflict in it or it's a story that we think you know is more dramatic or there's more of a uh, you know to, to to me there are a lot of under underrepresented you know undervoiced communities and they should all be sharing as much as you know and been been given room to share so i think what's happened is that the pendulum has swung towards very specific type of storytelling at the detriment of all these un- other wonderful stories that, that that I know I encounter on a day-to-day basis. So I think if we're going to be inclusive, let's really be inclusive. Let's not just say that we are, um, or let's not be tokenistic about what that looks like. That's it. Stepping off the box.
0: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm so glad that you said that last bit, because absolutely. I mean, that's been a huge thing we've talked about on our show, which, you know, is everyone obviously deserves that seat that they long deserve at the table but more importantly you can tell you can you can very well tell when stories are being told by the people that they're about or 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 that have written them if that makes sense you know you can really tell when when uh when a female identifying person is telling the story written by a female identifying person and they have that shared experience that they can communicate that something extra special that a man can't you know or a person of color brings to the table you know there's there's just different shared experiences that these different people bring to the table that you can't teach and it comes through in the work a lot more it's those little nuances it's the little things between the lines and that's the kind of theater we need more of
1: exactly and we you know and we evaluate we evaluate things on such a superficial level in our industry sometimes how does someone appear what's happened recently in their life, you know, and we don't know their journey. We don't know their kind of, you know, their history, you know, their their amount of support. And so I, I have a, a a solo show called American Rookie that, and in it, I talk about like, that we shouldn't have to fight for, you know, who's the most authentic, you know, or who deserves it the most. We don't have to have a dramatic story or tragedy to To have a voice and to be able to contribute to the conversation, so um, yeah, I feel very as you can tell, very passionately about this subject, and uh, you know, I I know people are trying to change it, myself included. So um,
0: let's see what happens. Well, I'm very interested to learn what Patrick has to say <laughs> about all this because Patrick, you are an artistic director, so you are in a position to, you know, enact any change that you desire. What changes would you like to see made in the in the theater?
2: Well, Tiffy said a lot of the ones that are in line with the mission of the farm, so that's good. Meaning that I, I think the main one of the things the farm does in cultivating early career artists, and I think that's what we need, is by creating network and pathways for people who may not have the pedigree for success. You know, if you didn't go to one of the three major schools or training programs, if you didn't didn't train, you know, at theater and came to it later in life. You know, and that's one of the things is to look for because artists are artists and they don't have to have a seal of approval from an industry and say like, oh, well, you went to that one. So you're that school you're in or you're and I think so in that and demystifying the process, which is my that is the goal of the podcast uh, That is really like, how did that happen? And 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 you know, and what really works. And so I think demystifying the process is good, but it's mainly the goal would be to, to yeah to, to open it up so that people are seen as individuals. And, you know, there's two things I want to say really quickly, like we need to reinvest in development of early career artists and early career is not defined by age. It's just where they're at. And there was a joke like 20 years ago, everybody said, you know, your early career until you're Tony Kushner as a playwright, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> it's not. but I think there's, really is looking for like who's ready to take that next step and and helping them and giving them a valid opportunity not lip service not inviting them into a room which is always important to be in the room to meet people and be in a community but somebody in that room has to give them a real opportunity to amplify their voice and their art and i think that's important and when you say gatekeepers you know what is the you know I want to say like the farm? Ten out of eleven of our commissions for the college collab was are for women and female playwrights, and it was a it was something we set for the first five years because that was the conversation at the time that women weren't being produced. And I do want to say that it, that it has in the last ten years, which we've been around, has gotten much better, not not because of the farm, but because of the conversation going on in the theater community. And now, of course, the focus is shifting to BIPOC playwrights and making sure that and an authenticity and representation is happening. So I do think, you know, those are the things that, you know, you're right, as the artistic director, you can change. And it's going out to seeing the play that's not convenient or, or sexy to go to, mm-hmm. you know, and it's funny. I met Difty when I went to see her first play because the director who directed it is a, you know, they're, they're an adult, but they're a young director to me who directed it and somebody i'd known since they were a student and i wanted to go and support their work and see what they were doing and and then met a writer who was very good you know and and so i think when you say the gatekeepers this is going to tie back to my final thing of what has to change money money has to change we have to we have to pay more to artists sure we have to have more money in development because that's the one thing you'll see in the pandemic that development organizations were taken away their funding was taken away it was harder to support we've lost a lot of them in this period so that money has to be there but also somehow i don't know the answer to this because it's a utopian thing but that drive to have to constantly be chasing money to run an organization that pressure has to be alleviated some way so that the people who are the gatekeepers can get out of their gate and go see the play of the player You you Artistic directors can't, I mean, I run a small theater. I can go, you know, I'm not, that's a different thing. But if you're running a major off-Broadway nonprofit, you don't have the time to go see a play under St. Mark's. You know, you just, you don't, you hope that some intern saw it and can make somebody in your building aware of it But that's not the best way to actually pay attention to like who's good. So you have to get out of your own building and out of your own network because otherwise you're just going to, you're just going to keep, serving the same circle
0: oh my gosh Uh, just as much an incredible answer right there I wanna ask what has been the hardest thing for you to overcome as a playwright. And obviously I wanna I want to go back to you, Dipty, on that one. What is what what has been the hardest thing for you to overcome? I think the
1: the drive to create new work quickly, like putting it out there as quick as possible to get kind of the energy you need to kind of keep going, versus the commitment an iterative process of actually creating work that that is more impactful. You know, I have a pretty strong creative drive and work ethic and I always want to I want things to happen as soon as, you know, as soon as I'm ready, I want them to be out there and I'm learning to do fewer things, not not because I don't want to do more things, but because I can give more attention to those sort of bigger Bigger creatures in my creative space. Uh, give them energy. Give them, you know, time, and um, and um, get the right people involved. So I think, I think that's the biggest thing I've had to overcome. And I think the second thing is just, you know, because I don't have any formal training, I had to just sort of get over. I had to stop saying I don't, you know, I don't know anything about this. Like I don't know what this word is. I don't know what you're talking about. I I, I don't know. I don't have the same collective references and i'm realizing i don't really need to know them because i'm learning on the job <laughs> and people are very willing to teach too so those those two things like worrying a little bit less about not having that kind of training and then and and doing fewer things so that i can preserve my energy and and do higher quality and more impactful work
0: building on that what are you hoping to accomplish as a playwright fellow
1: I have a new sort of mission uh, for my work that's in the last few months, which is actually about joy. And it's kind of embarrassing to say, because you always want to say like the work should do what it needs to do, which is if it needs to make people cry, it makes people cry and it does that and you don't have any, but people have been through a lot and I'm seeing the power of, of connection and laughter and, and surprise. And I'm really hoping that via these projects, I'll be able to provide that and also receive that from, from the people that I'm going to be working with. So that's the first thing. And then, and and then secondly, I, I just really, I love working with young people and I want to know what the, I want to know what their tarot cards are saying about the future. I want to know what they care about and be part of those conversations because it's really energizing. So that's a, a more self-centered kind of uh hope, but yeah, those are, those are some of the things that I hope to accomplish too.
0: Well, as we wrap up this first part of the interview, I want to ask you both, is there a message or a thought you're hoping our listeners take away from this interview? And Patrick, is it okay if I start with you first on this one?
2: Well, sure. I would say that our last, yeah, what I take away is to invest in, in people and, you know, and really the things Dippy was talking about, about authenticity is to, you know, see them for who they are and where they are and, and, and to offer the support and help to get them to the next place that you can. And that should mean showing up for their work and all that. So I think it's about supporting individuals for who they are and what you think, you know, what you see in them and, and fan the flame so that they can grow. Love it. And Dipti, how about you?
1: I hope people take away that they can all make make kind of a difference and impact either as an audience member or as a confidant of someone and it goes a really long way so even if people aren't necessarily haven't won the lottery or aren't in charge of an institution they can really make the difference in the life of someone who's who's on this path in very simple way.
0: So we not only talk about the theater in general but we also talk about our own personal experience in the theater so I'd like to let our listeners have that chance to talk to you about that and I want to start by asking you both what shows playwrights or composers in the past have inspired you or do you love Dipti is it okay if I start with you on that one?
1: Yeah, sure. Patrick's Patrick's going to laugh cuz he knows what I want to say. So, <laughs> I saw a uh, a play. I saw Yerma, uh Simon Stone's Yerma uh, several years ago before the pandemic and I don't think I've stopped talking about the impact of that play on my life. Billy Piper played the lead and it's a I, if for people who don't know the story, I mean it's a very it's a very nuanced story, but it's 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 really uh follows a woman's desire and desperation around having a child and this production was so raw aching meaningful beautiful exhilarating set i mean just blown away i just um that was like a, a an experience that i will never never forget i also had the really great privilege and honor of seeing jez butterworth's Jerusalem. Last year, and also I have never seen a three and a half hour long play that people wanted to hear more, more of. And what I loved about that was just the specificity of it, the kinetic energy in the audience, the the sort of how someone can write such a profound, prophetic kind of commentary on a country through an individual that you kind of want to hate and then you sort of root for it at the end. It's like just really, really two big dramatic kind of productions but actually, you know, to be honest, I, I, the, 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 the type of plays that I like are the ones that where people, people aren't trying to lead with like a, a lesson or a, like kind of a takeaway or shock value, but are the ones that kind of just sort of reach inside of you and you leave and you think, did that just happen to me? Did that, did that just happen to us? Did we, did we have that experience? And it's really hard to find that because I think, you know, because of what we were talking about, the increasing pressure to like, you know, write a topical play, I think sometimes prevents you from just actually just having an experience. So, but those are two productions. Yeah. And there's like a whole host of writers that I always want to know what they are doing next. And one person who Patrick can talk about more is Jake Brash, who is one of the most creative writers. And I just want to hear everything he does and i'm a super fan so i just love original voices so
0: that was a bit of a long-winded thing but
2: no i love it yeah like
0: she just kicked it over to you patrick with that Uh, what what are yours
2: i will talk about jake brash at the end of my answers but my my plays are the first play that got me hooked is death of a salesman and you know i said i followed my brother into the theater and the rehearsals I were watch- was watching was Pirates of Penzance when they were all having fun. And then I played a, a a patient in their production of MASH, which was really, you know, a blast of people having a good time creating. But then I got to be in a salesman in high school. And that play did for me what I, what that hooked me into theater because it was about, it got to explore things that like Dipti said, it was very human, it's very about personal relationships, but it's the big ideas about the values of America and American dreams and fathers and sons, and just hit me about what theater you're investing in the personal, but the personal is political, and it just hooked me into what theater can be, and the second production is, I went to see, at Hartford Stage, when I was in college, Mark Lamos's production of Pere Kent, and I thought about that today, probably because you said the word joy. I mean, it opens up with Pear, which was played by Richard Thomas, having his monologues, and there's a plastic blue tarp that's a river, and there's a toy house that's the roof that he's sitting on, and there's these weird plastic balls that you would see, you know, that were warped that you would see in a shopping in a grocery store or something when you were a kid that were, and he was kicking them out into the audience when he was doing his opening monologue. And it was just, and the whole play. Uh, production six hours of it two parts filled with joy and imagination and I think it showed me as an early career director like what you can bring to a play to illuminate it and bring it alive that's that's also just my imagination exploded at that moment those were the those are the two productions that sort of set me on and then there's been many many more but I will Jake Brash, who is a college collab playwright in the past, you know, is somebody who's, who I knew since we did a national playwriting program and just uh, when he was 17 that I was director for, which was Young Playwrights that used to exist in New York, another great organization. And the play before he became a college collab playwright that he did in this, video was Salutations, I'm Creative Dave, which was about an AI writing the American family drama and a robot writing this. and and deconstructing what that was and and having an an explosion of imagination it made me get so excited I thought oh well I'd love to see what he writes over a year but but yeah I'm going to go back those are the two I think those are the two foundational productions that shaped me and then then everything else along the way
0: That is fantastic. Now that we've got what's inspired you, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? And Patrick, if I can start with you first, that would be great. Yeah, I think my favorite part is discovery. I
2: love working. I mean, I want to say like, you know, it's it's two parts. Externally, it's about people and it's about the dialogue and it's the shared idea and it's the social aspect of the work and I like that we are all gathering socially around solving a creative problem and that really engages me and I think that's something that I value since we mentioned the the pandemic early on that I as we're now coming out and being in the room I'm like oh right I love being in the room with people solving a common problem. And we're all looking at it and we're all going deeper. But the thing that personally excites me to know and about the work is discovery. You have to discover the world the playwright has written. You have to discover how it works. And each day there's more to learn, there's more to learn, there's more to learn. And if you keep asking and trying and, and, and doing, you're gonna discover more every day. So the social aspect is vital for my life and the
0: discovery is what drives my creative heart. Part of it, Dipti. How about you? What is your favorite part about working in the theater?
1: I love working with actors. I love working with. I've had the chance to work with a few actors a few times, and getting to know their sort of uh rhythms. And I learn so much about my writing. And and frankly, sometimes I kind of forget in certain moments that it's like I wrote that, and I'm actually just seeing an actor do an amazing mm-hmm. scenes like that. I was like, oh my gosh, wow. So I, um, I really love seeing that. And specifically when we have kind of an understanding between one scene and then just doing that scene again, like say in a rehearsal process and the scene transforms because the director sort of intervenes with like a really specific question and then suddenly something unlocks and you're just there for, for a moment. And then finally, you know, there are magical things that happen in rooms with with the right people. Like Patrick was in this room when we were reading at a at like a, a a labyrinth member intensive, my new play Love Lake. And in the scene, there are stage directions that say it started to rain and then it started to rain <laughs> in real life. And so I think it's just, you know, making I don't know, I there's something that's stripped away in 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 those rooms that I really like. And then we have to go out into the real world again. So maybe it's a suspension of reality. For another reality for a little while that I like
0: the most. Oh, I love that. I feel like that should be a quote somewhere on a, on a t-shirt or something. I love the suspension of reality <laughs> for another reality. <laughs> we have arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, which is what is your favorite theater memory? Dipsy, are, are you good to go first?
1: God, Yeah. Like, I feel like I have a generous answer and then I have kind of like something about my work so I'm going to go with the something about my work so my my favorite theater moment was when I presented a play called Islands of Contentment and it was just a a a reading at one of Labyrinth's member intensive the first one that I went to and Patrick directed it he invited me to it and right before I was like you know what let's pull the plug it's not ready people aren't gonna like it it's not their kind of play they're gonna and the response was like Thunderous applause, and more importantly than that, just people being really moved by the work, and having conversations about that, and like questioning certain aspects of the play. And I just felt like it was a moment where I kind of like it was like my it felt like my coming out party as a playwright. It just was like my sweet sixteen, but as a playwright. So I think everyone deserves that sort of moment because it really gave me the impetus to keep going with with that play and and, and everything else. So that was my favorite. Theater moment recently, and then for my for a play that I, I I didn't write a play called Passover, which has been all over the place and and you know tells a really um, compelling story that's modeled after Waiting for Godot. The one that I saw had kind of an interstitial or intermission moment where rather than the actors leaving the stage or the audience leaving, we all sat in the kind of semi darkness listening to Strange Fruit, mm-hmm. sung by Nina Simone. And I have never—I mean, I bring that up so often, like in terms of the power of a of a moment or music, and you know that—that's what I remember the mo- the most. Actually, was that of the the wordless part of the play, where we we had we came together as audience and an actor. So those are my two two moments.
0: Wow, what an incredible experience to have had! Thank you for sharing those. Patrick, I'm gonna have to volley it over to you, you now. Can roll so. it over <laughs> to me. I
2: shook my head off on it because I saw that question and I forgot to think about it. I have two. I'm gonna go with two also because one one is I directed I directed a lot of solo shows and I directed a solo show by Cindy Kiter which was a tribute to her dad Les Kiter who's a Hall of Fame sportscaster and he couldn't. We did it in New York and it had a great run and it was you know his dad her dad used to do the recreates of baseball games like it's a long fly ball, you know, and like used to, when that first happened and the play got, it was a tribute to him. It was a love letter to him. And and the producer picked up the play and he lived in Hawaii and he couldn't, he was too old and to come. And they picked up the play and they moved it to Hawaii for a couple of performances so that he could see it. And it's totally the most satisfying because, you know, you do the plays for a reason and you're like, well, I don't know if we cared that the people in the West Village got to hear the story of her dad. I'm glad that her dad got to see the story of her dad and he was there and and uh, it was beautiful. And the second thing that's my favorite because it happened uh, last week is I went to see Death of a Salesman with Wendell Pierce and I sat down and I was in the front row of the balcony. I bought the day- tickets that day at Today's ticks, and I just had to go see it on my own. And the guy next to me is about my age and he turned to me and he asked me if I knew the play. And I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, oh, well, I'm, you know, I started working in Midtown. And so I started going to plays lately when I get out of work. And this one was mentioned a bunch of times on Seinfeld. So I wanted to, I thought I should see it. And he asked me if it was a comedy. And I said, no, it's the classic American family drama. And literally at intermission, he was wiping away his little tear on his cheek. He was like, wow, this is uh this is the deepest play I've ever seen. <laughs> well, wait too. <laughs> at the end of the play, it was at the end of the play, it was like, it works on it's so complex and it talks about so many things. It's like, and it was just it's like you well, know, the guy who might be doing deliveries. I don't know what his job is, but he's you know, not in a suit or anything. And it just hit him at his core and he was totally unexpected. And I thought, hey. Talk about, for him, that was venturing into the West Village to see a play. That was that was a risk because the other plays he had seen were Chicago, Phantom, Lion King. You know, and this was his first play, and it was it was great because it. I thought, oh, oh, it does. It works. It
0: works. You know, the power of words right there. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad he got to see that because that that was a work of genius. It was such a work of genius.
2: Yeah, and that that play, you know, what's funny, I thought it it was, and what they did for me at the last, the last 20% of the evening, I thought the star of the play was the play. Yes, yes, just after those words. Just kept pounding out, and you were like, you know, and and they had set that up, how they did it, it's not taking away from any of the great performances or design or anything, but at the last 20%, I thought, wow, I'm being hit with the play,
0: which I loved obviously oh thank you for sharing that oh my gosh both of you what incredible memories now i can write my book um <laughs> glad we can help are there any other productions or projects that either of you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug why yes on
2: february 3rd as part of the Labyrinth Barn series, is a reading of Dipi Brahmankar's Love Lake that I'm directing the reading of, and it's a Barn series free, and it's at East uh, 59, East 59th. And on since he got a plug already on February 7th, I'm directing a reading of Jake Brush's play Spin. Those and uh, so I will plug those. Those are the two that are coming up immediately, uh, and I'm sure that the tickets, which are free, are at Labyrinth
0: Theaters website. If our listeners want more information about either of you or about the farm, how can they do that? How can they reach you?
2: I will say for me, you can go to www.thefarmtheater.org. But, and also on that, if they, so that's check out what the farm is doing and what we've done, but on there, it's easy to figure out how to email me. (laughs) So I'm easily, oh, and Dipty plugged it already, but we also have a, Podcast called the Farm Theater's Bullpen Sessions, which is one-on-one conversation with artists talking demystifying the process of how they built a career, and they can find that wherever you find your podcast. So right after you listen to this episode, you can listen to one of those.
0: For
1: me, people can find me on Instagram
2: most readily at Super Dipty
1: and I have a little link tree there with all with all my work. And in that link tree, there's a, a link to quite a lot of audio stories that I've written, some of which have been commissioned recently and some which I've done on my own. And um, I would love people to let me know what they think of them. I mean, only the good stuff, not like the (laughs) the bad things.
0: What is it they say? If you love it, you know, tell your friends, if you didn't like it, send it to your enemies. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, Dipti, Patrick, thank you so much for making the time to talk to me today and just to share this wealth of information and knowledge with us. It's been amazing. Thank you both so much. Thank you, Andrew. This was great. Thanks. So nice to be asked these questions. My guests today have been the playwright and the new resident playwright at the farm, Dipti Brahmankar, and the artistic director of the farm, Patrick Lillis. You can get more information about both of these incredible artists, as well as about the farm theater by visiting www.thefarmtheater.org. And that's theater with an ER. Also make sure to check out their podcast, the farm theaters bullpen sessions, anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow dipty on Instagram at super dipty writes. you can check out her link tree where she's got some great audio stories some of them have been commissioned which is amazing and you can let her know what you think especially about the good ones um <laughs> i mean they're all good so just write her about <laughs> all of them but check out all this incredible information check out the incredible projects you have going really look into these amazing artists including the incredible new uh, resident playwright fellow